This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. Before the rocket carrying Krypton's last hope, before the kindly couple, before the great metropolitan newspaper, there was the world that gave birth to the universe's greatest hero. Now, in Doomed Planet, we consider Krypton's history, legacy, and destruction, and the part of it that survived. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the second and final season of the sci-fi television series Krypton is the host of the Krypton Report podcast, returning guest, Tyler Patrick. Welcome back. Thank you. And now you kind of get why we have Krypton in our name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was, um, that, was that actually one of the motivations? Because when did you start? Yes. Was it right around that time? So when I started podcasting, and I just I wanted to bring this up because I think it, it files into it. It's like I was started podcasting just uh, um, as a co-host joined. We were starting to review Gotham. And then there was talk about the Krypton show. <coughs> Excuse me. And part of the, the name, the, we were just going to review the Krypton TV series, and then they announced the Supergirl series. So we were just going to review the two series. And then, as we know, Gotham started. Krypton kept getting delayed. And then <laughs> Gotham came and ran and ended. Krypton came and went while Gotham still went in the back. <laughs> so... Uh, that's kind of where the name kind of started was we were going to be reviewing that. And um, then we just kind of morphed the show more into what it is now. So Awesome. No, that's really cool. So yeah, the second and sadly final season of this short-lived Superman prequel, 10 episodes, just like the first season. And when last we saw our characters, just to kind of recap for our audience here, Seg had banished Brainiac to the Phantom Zone, but unfortunately Brainiac pulled Seg in with him. And as Seg departed this plane of existence, he reminded his grandfather Valel, inspired him to once again continue to hope for a better tomorrow. And that was the last we saw of our protagonist. As Seg's son, uh, the time-traveling General Zod, uh, took over and made Krypton into this militaristic society, uh, 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 abolished the, uh, the the caste system that has that had existed with the rankless, conscripted them into military service, and stood there making this grand speech with his mother, Lyda, uh, and uh, another member of the Sagittarii, Dev M, uh, by his side, <laughs> uh, as he was making this big speech. And our final shot of season one of Krypton was the ultimate weapon, Doomsday, Break, trying to break free from his containment chamber. And that was where we left off. I know I haven't addressed every single character, but those were some of the, the broad strokes of, of what we saw. I I remember watching that and just being like, wah! <laughs> you just be like, 
and being like angry, like wow wow but then at the same time like that makes sense i was like you know they could do this they could pull off something with doomsday um and i was excited like because this show like you said it was kind of like okay what are they gonna do and then it was like gonna tie into man of steel and i was like okay um and then they were like sex grandfather or you know seg the grand i was like uh but then I, then i thought about like well I got thinking about like in my life, like I have a lot of traits similar to my grandfather, you know, my maternal grandfather. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of cool because the idea is, you know, what if, you know, we don't know much about Seg. He could have been more militaristic or something. And, you know, then Jor was more scientific, you know, or Seg could have been more political. And then, you know, it kind of, and then that gives you kind of cows. And then they made it about grandsons and grandfathers, which I thought was a nice, just something a little bit different than being about fathers and sons. So, Absolutely. It was a whole other angle to explore. And look, we'll, we'll get into this 10 episode final season. But if, if the first season were Game of Thrones-esque in its political intrigue and maneuvering and whatnot, I feel like season two is like full on Star Wars, where we have our yeah. rebel base on the moon versus the empire in the form of again, Zod's militaristic society and his force, the Sagittarii. And you have to say it that way, the Sagittarii. Uh, I'm sticking to that as we make our way through here. So look, we'll unpack it all over the course of the season. Of course, Seg makes his way back to Krypton, but not before a stop in Kolu and an interaction with Lobo, DC Comics character Lobo, who makes his his, uh, live action debut here. Uh, and again, a lot of back and forth between the rebels and Zod's forces. But I got to say, man, I, I just I'm going to plow right into uh, I think it's the seventh episode of the season, Zod's and Monsters, because, man, I really had uh, an emotional reaction to watching the episode. And it's the scene. So there's a lot going on in this episode. It's the episode that gives us a truly heartbreaking origin for Doomsday. And I can't wait to compare notes on that. But there's oh, the yeah. scene where. Corvex, the child produced by Seg-El and Nyssa, and we'll also get back to that love triangle, because truly, I think one of the best we've seen in any of these superhero properties. <laughs> but there's this scene where Seg and Nyssa and their son Corvex are together in the Fortress of Solitude, and Nyssa has this moment where she has... She sort of wants to... Wants, she wants to rename the baby. She wants to turn her back on the Vex house and, and all of the uh, the, the trouble and, and, and whatnot that it's wrought. And so she wants their child to be an L. And so for a fleeting moment, the baby is core L. But then the holographic projection of Val L, Seg's grandfather, chimes in. And he says that in Kryptonian tradition, it's customary for an L to take the name of the first name of one of their ancestors. And Val starts to talk about his father, and he talks about how his achie- he was a humble man and his achievements paled in comparison to, uh, to some of the other Kryptonians, but that's because he put his family first. And he says he was kind-hearted, a brilliant scientist, and a wonderful father. And Seg then uh, officially uh, rechristens the baby as Jor-El. And he says, my son, years from now, when they tell the story of your life and your accomplishments, they'll be telling the story of Jor-El. And we get a few notes of that John Williams theme. And look, man, I'm not ashamed to admit, 
I don't subscribe <laughs> to kind of outdated traditional notions of masculinity in certain respects. And man, I was, I was in tears. I had to pause it and blow my nose and like take a second. It really got me. It hits you harder as a dad. Like, because like I've talked about before is like watching Superman, the movie and man of steel after having Solomon. And then all of a sudden plugging into Jor-El and that opening parts and it hits you different. And the way that they describe the first Jor-El, uh, it kind of sounds similar to Jonathan Kent. Yes. You know, the kind of person that would actually end up raising Seg's grandson. So um, I loved it. I Because, you know, they were like Corvex. And I was like, okay, I'm rolling with it. You know, this is the show. Okay, what's going on? And, uh, you know, and then like you were talking about last time, like the battle for Superman's grandma, <laughs> you know, and we're like, so Nissa Vex is Superman's grandma. So I'm, her name technically should be Nissa Darren Vex, but whatever, because we know how Kryptonian women are supposed to be, have their full father's name, but whatever, we'll let it go. Um, and yeah, that scene, it got me because it were just like, you were like, yes. Finally, like you kind of felt like were they, but they did it. And then, um, yeah, <laughs> I got to tell you beautiful. And, uh, yeah. And I got, I got some questions for you later. Cause you guys pointed out some stuff last time that I was kind of like, I couldn't remember if we, about the whole Zod thing. So I have to say though, as much as it was a soaring moment when you heard those few notes of the, of the John Williams theme and, and seg, reintroduces the baby as Jor-El. But what really got me was just Val talking about his father and just kind of, because look, I mean, I've talked about this on this, we did a whole episode, right? About how, going back to Jonathan Kent, that scene from the pilot of Superman and Lois made mm -hmm. such an impression on me when, when Clark is talking to Jordan and is like, look, my dad, he was on his way to church one day and he became a father in an instant and he didn't know what he was doing, but he was just there. Like, and that was all- I that quoted he, that today. Yeah. I quoted that at work today. Uh, and that's that was, again, I talked about it. Like that in large part motivated my decision to to get a different job than where I could work remotely. Like it really had a profound effect on me. And it's something that I've really carried forward in in my parenting in that it's like, I know I'm not always gonna have the answers or do the right thing. As he gets older, I know there will be times we disagree, whatever. But it's like, I, I can be there, right? I can just be there and he'll, he'll know he always has that. And so uh, as Val was talking about that with such pride, right? And it wasn't pride that his father accomplished this or that in the scientific field, right? He mentions the scientific mind, but it's sandwiched between he was kind-hearted, he was a wonderful father. Like that's what made the impression on this guy. And even as I'm talking about it now, like I, I, I get choked up about it, but it really, it was such a beautiful scene. It was the, the highlight of the scene. There was so much awesome stuff. Just again, not to bury the lead once more, I the second season was great. I went into this not knowing if there was going to be a little bit of a dip. A couple of people on social media were saying, were kind of warning me a little bit about season two. So I went in a little apprehensive, but God damn was this, it was so good. The I think this season they knew what the show was. You guys had talked about last season and we had talked about you and I over the history of just how they kind of tweaked it and changed season one from what the initial plan was. And this season they went in knowing this is our show and they didn't hold back. Like they gave us some substance, you know, um, this season I had, what I, did you ever watch Battlestar Galactica? 
when it was on sci-fi no i mean man i knew of it and everyone was talking about it so i know like kind of the broad strokes but i never watched it i didn't watch it till i was working at blockbuster and i just kind of started <clears throat> but like, that show like had seasons but then they would do these sci-fi channel movies that would kind of be in between seasons or what and i had hoped that when they canceled this they would have given us like a sci-fi channel movie that would have been like the third season kind of summing it up you know so that they didn't leave us on up the cliffhanger we'll talk about yes we'll we'll, we'll get to the ending but yeah it's, it's heartbreaking that this didn't get a proper conclusion zach and i talked last time about how it could still have one through a connection to superman and lois unlikely though that may be and i do want to ask you about that too when, when we get to the end oh, but but let's so let's circle back to the beginning here, the beginning of the season where uh, specifically Seg's journey here, our protagonist. I know in our in our last episode, I feel like he kind of got a little bit lost in the shuffle. So there was so much going on and so many characters. But let's talk about Seg because he starts here in the Phantom Zone, right? Where best where Phantom we, where Zone we, ever. I was going to say, you and I talked, because we did an episode on that Supergirl movie, and we talked about its depiction of the Phantom Zone. And look, we've seen it in the Supergirl TV show and, <laughs> and Smallville. Like We've seen it in a bunch of places. But yeah, tell me what you thought about this, this the way it oh, was realized here. I loved it. Like I, I remember you and I talked about it a little bit, and I was like, I couldn't like I couldn't fully say it, because like, you hadn't watched Krypton, and I didn't want to spoil anything, or like say, just go watch this scene, because I... <clears throat> but I like it. Like It's such more like, you know... <laughs> Not a desert. <laughs> not. How would you feels describe like a dimension. it? How would you describe it to people who haven't seen it? And they're like, what are they guys? What are these guys talking about? Like, um, hold on. I, I know the word I want to use, and I'm just I'm running slow. But like a like a kaleidoscope. Okay. Yeah, it's like an iridescent kaleidoscope of color, but like an imagery in space. Because it's like because you know you can see Seg seeing things and interacting because it is outside time and space, and I think it's the best. Pr- uh, depiction of the phantoms that we've ever had. I agree. I, look, uh, what I want to say, this is a perfect segue to, to make this point. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Is that, look, we watch a lot of this kind of stuff, right? And it gets real easy to predict, right? Where, how things are going to go. And from its depiction of the Phantom Zone to a number of, of turns throughout the season, there were, there were numerous instances where I was genuinely surprised. And I feel like that doesn't happen a ton. And especially, again, I don't mean to always beat up on these poor CW shows, but there were so many of them and so many episodes. I mean, there was, there was a lot to consume. And at a certain point, you kind of knew where they were going, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like here there were numerous instances. I mean, look, we'll get into what they did with Lyda this season, I mean, there were a few turns there where I was genuinely surprised, but they did it in such a way where it really, for me at least, like it kept me on my toes and I appreciated that. Like this was a more a more surprising uh, viewing experience than I typically have watching this kind of stuff. And it was, I really appreciated that. Um, and we'll get into it because there's a couple of things I was going to throw out here, but I'll wait till we get to more about Lida that, you know, on prequels, sometimes there's certain things where like, oh, this character is safe because they have to go and do this. Well, this series has little loopholes where they might not be safe. Like, and I'll, I'll explain that more when we get there. Um, yeah, but no, I'm with you. I thought this, this version of the Phantom Zone was great. I mean, look, having been trained on, on Smallville and the Supergirl show and going back to the Supergirl movie, it's like, you know, yeah, I expected them to be in a desert or, or the woods a la Supernatural and Purgatory. It's like, I figured out it'll be the woods. <laughs> All right, run through the woods, throw on the filter of sepia, boom. 
purgatory. It's look, and you and I are both huge supernatural fans, uh, and I'll defend that show forever. But I know it's so funny. It's like you go to heaven and it's the woods, but it's just it's a more saturated color palette. You go to purgatory, it's the woods, and it's just a little bit more of a desaturated color palette. It's pretty much just got, always the woods. You got thrown that dialogue like that's how your brain perceives it <laughs> because that's all because it's you know like so it's like that's what you see it as. And you're just like all right, all right. Yeah. Um, speaking of perceiving, one thing I like about this show is when they throw the text on, it's in Kryptonian, and then it translates to English. So it's the same kind of th- concept in my mind. Is they're speaking Kryptonian, but they've already showed you that we're translating in English for you. That's true. Although, did they establish that Adam Strange has a translator of some sort? I forget. I don't know. I roll with it. We'll roll with it. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? I, I figure he's from. He's got Rand stuff. Yeah, he got a translator. Gotcha. It's all good. So Brainiac is able to, long story short, manipulate Sag into using the Sunstone to kind of pierce a hole through the, the Phantom Zone, and they're able to escape, and they land on Kolu, Brainiac's home planet. And so you get a little bit of the two of them kind of palling around, <laughs> and Brainiac giving a history lesson of how he came to be. Uh, and that was the woods, uh, but it, you know, it, it, it certainly worked. <laughs> I'll accept that. I'll accept that woods. Yeah, they gave us a really, really cool Phantom Zone. So I was like, all right, fine. We'll go with we'll go with the woods here. Uh, yeah, what did you think of this? Uh, well, again, I mean, I know we talked about this last time, but just your take on this Brainiac generally and these interactions oh, that they had at the top of the season. Oh, he's amazing. He's creepy. He's, you know, I remember when this show premiered, it was the 40th anniversary of Superman and a lot of the actors, uh, Brainiac and uh, Adam Strange were both at Superman Celebration. And everything, and it just was. They were. I remember. I remember all. But like they were talking with him, and I was like, "Man, this guy has it for Brainiac. Like he's creepy. He's intelligent. the The practical looks so good. And you know, it's just something that we have been wanting, like a really good Brainiac. And it wasn't like they gave us something new, like we talked about before. Like I'm tired of Zod." But then they gave us a, the perfect Zod, you know, and um, but Brainiac, chef kiss. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really terrific, and I forget the exact sequence here, but there uh, eventually it, it of course we lead to a battle between uh, Seg and Brainiac, and uh, off screen Seg apparently kills Brainiac, but what we'll later come to learn is that Brainiac is is inside of Seg and. Pardon me for that choice of words, but we there's a fun payoff to that when we get to the end of the season and the scene with Lobo. <laughs> he, he makes specific oh. reference of how Seg and Brainiac are inside of each other, and he calls Seg, you dirty dog. It was pretty funny. Oh, we also get one of my favorite scenes of the season. Just It's just playful with because Brainiac's in Seg's mind, so... Yeah, but I have to say, uh, and you know, I want to get to the Lobo, but when, when Adam Strange arrives and i know i'm jumping around a little bit but when adam strange arrives on kolu uh the reunion that he has with seg was like seg was genuinely excited to see him and hugged him and even adam was surprised by that it was a nice i thought it was a cool moment yeah i i like where the they've gone these characters have built this friendship this this bond like seg with adam and then adam with val like even like you know and I, i i don't want to skip too far but I will just say I like the concept of the houses that's not always about blood. Yes. And we'll expand on that later. But um, it just kind of made me think of like just the family bond that Val and Seg kind of bring Adam into like a, a, 
uh, you know, a uh, deep connection with them. I do want to say, like, I love this version of Krypton. I love that it it has a, it found a way to kind of include all versions of Krypton that we've seen. It has a little bit of the Smallville feel that we see, like in season nine, when we have the Candor flashback scene. It feels similar to what we see in Supergirl. It feels similar to the Gunner when you get to like the wastelands. It's more crystallized, more snow. And then it feels like we're on the ground of the Snyder Krypton more than like being the up above. So it, it really feels that they were able to make the planet feel unified from all of our visions. That's a that's a great way to put it. I, w- I would agree with that totally. So not long after... Adam Strange arrives on Kolu. We meet Krypton's version, their depiction of Lobo, the intergalactic bounty hunter. What what was your reaction to this Lobo? Well, at first I was caught off guard because I like they made him very Scottish, like in the undertone. But then when I found out the actor was the same guy that played Jim Corrigan in Constantine, I was like, nah. Because I was like, because I was like, I've seen this guy, right? And I looked it up and I was like, oh snap, he's on Constantine. Um and we talk, I'm not the biggest Lobo fan because to me, he is just like 90s comics and just how bad and dark. And it's like, he's like, we're going to mix, you know, biker gang, kind of Deadpool, like everything Wolverine and just shake it up. And oh, there's Lobo. Um, but I found him entertaining in small doses, like in the context, because he is such just like, just a, ugh, you know. And he, and of course, he points out Segel's name that some people may not have caught on to. It's like Siegel. He calls him Siegel the whole time, and uh, he was fun. Like the scene where I remember I was watching Solomon came in. This is, I mean, he was three, maybe no four at the time. To the scene where Lobo's like saying, "Like I'm gonna get in there," and he like pulls his gun and shoots him. I was like, "Oh snap!" <laughs> and so I was like, "Whoa." You know, and he didn't like think much more because he was so little, but, um, and then he starts regrowing, you know, right there. And I was just like, yeah. And then I thought about if they do make that Lobo movie, I'm like, could I, could I stomach it? Like, I don't know if I could take a whole movie with this as my main character. I don't know. But like here in the little bit that we get. Okay. All right. He's like this. He's like this wild card character, you know? He is. And look, shout out to one of our, our our regular guests here, Justin DeVoe, who cosplays as Lobo and loves the character. But that is an interesting question. I mean, it's funny because I, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest Lobo fan in the world. I, I enjoyed him in certain instances, like Superman, the animated series and whatnot. I, well, when, but, yeah, when he's restrained. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, that's an interesting question about, you know, is this a character that only works best in small doses or or could he sustain? I mean, look, he's had his own series and whatnot, uh, comic book series. But yeah, could he sustain his own uh, his own movie or show? I mean, there was a, the, the plan was to do a Lobo spinoff television show of Krypton. And obviously that didn't come to pass yeah. after the show's cancellation. But we, we almost we almost got to get an answer to our question about whether or not this character would, you know, would kind of work as the lead of a show and not just a, a supporting player. Could you give him an emotional arc in a journey? Like, I don't know. And also, yeah, I mean, I wonder, I mean, this is a question for Justin. So when he listens, he'll, he can uh, message me and chime in. But uh, yeah, I mean, cause like part of what, what the fun of the character, right. Is that he's so over the top and, and so outrageous and so inappropriate. And do you, 
you know, in order to build, a, a, again, a, a full story around that character, do you have to sacrifice some of that? And is it is it a worthwhile sacrifice to make? I mean, I don't know, but they're interesting questions. But I, I enjoyed this take. I mean, I would say, I mean, they, they had the look. Did he have the, the, the physicality, the stature that you might expect from the comics? No, not necessarily. He wasn't like dwarfing the other characters. But in terms of just the look, the makeup, the, 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 the costume, I mean, I feel like it, it felt like the character for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the physical presence, no, he wasn't as big as like what you would think of. But I mean, but, but the New 52 at the time, the Lobo was leaner and smaller. And then I know the kind of retcon that wasn't supposed to be the real Lobo or whatever later. But just saying, we know that it seems like a lot of the shows and stuff are a few years behind and they were pulling from like the New 52 era of comic. So if you look at that Lobo and him, yeah, it works. But yeah, I mean, it's, I hate saying like, oh, it's the TV version because we all know that TV can be amazing. Um, I think he got the character. Would I, would I want a Lobo to be a little bit bigger? Yeah, because it's part of that. He's oversized and just like crazy big and everything. But I think the actor did great. He really did. Yes. I, I mean, I, that's the thing. I think that, uh, yeah, he, again, he didn't dwarf the other characters the way you might have expected. And the accent definitely took, <laughs> it took a, it took a minute to just get used to, because again, you wouldn't necessarily expect Scottish Lobo, but in terms of the personality, man, it was there. And there was <laughs> the one moment where he has Seg and Adam tied up or Siegel and Adam tied up, uh, to the tree. And, uh, I, I think it's Seg was like, you know, I've never heard of you. And and the Lobo just starts laughing, right? Like this prospect is just so ridiculous that you haven't heard of Lobo, this this renowned bounty hunter. And Seg starts laughing and they're all just laughing. And Seg has a Cameron Cuff shout out, like has like this great delivery. He's like, I, I really don't know who you are. <laughs> He's just like laughing through it. But it was so, I thought that was so funny. It genuinely made me laugh. <laughs> what I think is interesting and this is with that kind of like he hadn't heard of is I like in this show, the idea that Krypton had not got interstellar travel. Yeah. Like Brainiac has obviously Lobo has, you know, Adam has to the Zeta beams, but I like the idea that Krypton can't leave their planet. That's part of what goes on in this season. Cause I think that's what makes the rocket for Kal-El even more. Cause it was supposed to be a prototype, you know, um, so the idea, like going back to season one, where the idea of an alien and stuff was, Ooh, yeah, Val was know, executed like, for that notion. So the fact that Lobo's like, you never heard of me. Like, I love it. It's kind of like a callback to season one. If, if you're paying attention. Oh yeah. Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, AKA my local comic shop. Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. All Yeah. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. 
Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period, along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Yeah, no, for sure. No, is it, you know, I have to say this, this, so Seg is on, uh, is on Colu, he's away from Krypton for the first three episodes of the season. And I didn't know, again, this is the first time that I was watching, so I didn't know how long this was going to last. I, I was like, because oh, you want him to get back to Krypton, you want him to interact with all the characters and get, get in on the action. Uh, but I felt like they struck a nice balance here where you had, again, a few episodes and then he's, and then he's back where you want him to be. So I felt like they... Uh, you know, they kind of walked that line nicely where, um, you know, you felt, you know, the other characters felt his absence for a long enough period mm-hmm. of time. But then look, in a 10 episode season, you don't have a ton of real estate here. So I'm glad they got him back to Krypton when they didn't. To your point, before before he and Adam make it back, uh, they enter this chamber on Kolu to extract Brainiac from Seg's mind. And that's where we have this whole business where uh, there's this force field keeping Lobo out and he like shoves his arm through, right? His arm gets chopped off and then he blows off his head and then the rest of his body sort of regrows from the arm inside, right? Was that the bit? Yep. Uh, so again- it, It's uh, funny know. because it's just sitting there and then the, it, the camera cuts back and it's focusing on Seg and Adam and you're seeing like where they're pulling out Brainiac and all of a sudden you hear something that cuts back and there's like Lobo's full arm and the upper part of Lobo growing <laughs> and you see like it in- Adam's like, what the? It was just, it's funny. Side note about Adam: when last we saw him, right, he was he was saving, he was saving Seg and 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 Kim, I think, from the the suicide bomber, the the poor little girl, uh, and he used his Zeta beam. And then when we saw him in the finale, he was in, he was in one of Brainiac's bottles, and it looked like Earth, and there was a statue of Zod there. And we later come to find that that was, in fact, Earth. And this is showing kind of the long-term consequences of this new future that they've created. And, but to remind me, at the top of the season, when he shows up on Krypton, did they explain how he got out of there? Or I guess he just Zeta beamed out of there. It wasn't, it wasn't a problem. Yeah, that, that was my, like, rationale. I was like, yeah, he just Zeta beamed. Because then he says, like, something was off because, like, eventually, like, he has issues with them. But then they're working fine. So While we're on this note of, of cheats here... Uh, we gotta take a moment here. So Lyda's mother, Jaina, the, uh, the the you know the former high command of the Sagittarii, she had her whole journey over the course of the season and became part of these uh, the, you know these outlaws. And there came a point in the first season where she challenged uh, Zod and they engaged in battle. And Lyda Lyda chose to shoot Jaina, shoot her mother to save her time traveling son. It's it's quite the conundrum. Mm-hmm. But but when last we saw Jaina at the end of the first season, she was if I remember correctly, unconscious of being carried away by this mysterious figure. Now, earlier in the first season, we had flashbacks to Jaina's upbringing, this very rigorous training that she and her brother were put through and they had to make this treacherous journey through the ice and uh, she made the very, very cold, no pun intended, decision to leave her brother behind and fulfill the task that she had been charged with, right, by her father. 
But look, we've seen a lot of these shows before. So as we're watching that first season and we're seeing that flashback with Jaina and her brother, you're like, well, of course the brother's still out there. He's in the, he's one of these ice people. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, at the end of the first season, we see Lyda carried away by this mysterious figure. And it's like, oh, it's the brother. And then at the top of the season, there, you know, it initially seems to be the case, right? Where it's her brother, they're having all these conversations. And then whether it's the first or second, I forget exactly which episode it is, but uh, you come to find that the, this brother was just in her mind, right? Because they're having this conversation yeah. and then she looks away and she turns back and he's gone and, and the camera shows us behind her, right? And there's only one set of footprints in the snow. And it's a cool reveal, but again, going back to cheats, I, I don't think, how, how did you feel about that? I think at first it took me a minute to remember how it ended the first season because I watched this as it aired. It's like I watched the first season, you know, and then I didn't go back and rewatch it before watching the second season. So I it didn't come to me till much later. And then I was just like, uh, maybe they changed their mind of what they were going to do with this character. Or maybe it was going to be something else. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to chalk it up in headcanon that she just imagined her brother saving her the way maybe she wished she would have saved her brother. And that's what I went with. I agree. I, I'd have to go back and look at her last scene from the first season. If I, my memory of it is that she was full on unconscious, but maybe she, she was, maybe she was awake to some extent. And yeah, she was saving herself. She was crawling to safety, but she was imagining her brother. It's just again when I say cheat, it's like if the character is out cold and the audience is seeing this, it's like I, I don't know that that's really fair to then say, oh, this guy was just in her head all along. But again, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. It's one of the few one of the few nitpicks I have about this, because I really enjoyed this really like top to bottom. I I mean, I agree with you, but it also makes me just kind of wonder as they were like kind of retooling things a little, like, was it an oversight? Like, were they going to make it her brother? Like the whole time? And then they're like, no, nah, we can't, we don't have time to develop this character or whatever. We're just going to make it this. And then they did it and then forgot how they, you know, my, if I had to guess, I would say that that was a pivot. I feel like they maybe got to the point where they were like, once she's recuperated and she's going to rejoin the fight, you know, she very quickly gets paired up with Dev M in more ways than one, which we could talk yeah, about. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting, uh, just like where that was going. I was like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah. You know, just like, so, you know, Dev M, one of the members of the Sagittarii who was meant to bind with Lyda and really had had love for Lyda, but she really only had eyes for Seg. And when we catch up with him in this season, he's deserted the Sagittarii for the path that Lyda and Zod had, had led them down, more on Lyda to come. Uh, and so, you know, he ends up, you know, teaming up with Jaina and they share a number of intimate moments, not intimate in terms of, of you know, not sexually but like a little bit very but in terms of of embraces and just sort of they each have a moment scenes in different episodes where they break down crying uh with with one another and the other is there to comfort and so uh it does turn romantic by the end of the season and they share a kiss and from what i've read about season three they the proposed season three they would have been a full-fledged couple and we could talk more about that too but uh, yeah, it was it was interesting, and again, yes, a very very uh, <laughs> very tricky dynamic here, where he's uh, you know been uh, again her daughter has been his primary love interest, and now they're he and the mother are moving in this direction. But there you go. Hey, it's crypto. <laughs> Just you know, I think there's a there's a very interesting dynamic that Zod brings in while in this um, 
season just you know drew i'll say drew because we have more than one zod um the nature versus nurture theme because especially from the maternal point because we are not naturally conceiving these children there are you know just your genetic material your genetic material added together and boom they create this child and this you know what that dynamic does, what that theme does. And my question through this to you, what happens to Seg? When when is Drew supposed to be cr- created, conceived? Um, because I couldn't remember. Um, you mentioned in your episode, you think that Drew was born naturally. And did they ever flat out say it was? Or was he something that like later Seg and Lida bonded? And created a child, or you know, they never go into the paradox that is Drew undoing his creation. Um, I don't have know, answers, but I stuff. share those questions because you know he says I didn't grow up with a father and all this. So I'm like, so part of me's thinking like, did Jarrell grow up with a father, or something going to happen to Seg? Like and this was before the show was canceled. You know, like that Seg is going to die, so neither of the children grow up with a dad. Like something happens. And I just kept trying to point like, when is Drew supposed to have been created? So it's a valid question. I know one I don't have an answer for, I guess, you know, Zach and I talked about this last time of, you know, are, are the Kryptonians in the show? Is it just that they've chosen these, these, uh, this Genesis chamber method or, or are they uh, unable to bear children naturally? And so I had touched on this a moment ago, but let me bring it up here. So, uh, the, the gentleman online, Ryan Unicomb, and he had, uh, I guess, gotten in touch with the producers and got a rundown of what the proposed third season was going to be. Nice. And he has an Instagram post about it, and it's 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 quite thorough. I'll kind of maybe sprinkle in a few things here and there, especially when we, when we talk about how this season ends. But one of the things that was going to come in the season three that we never got was that there was going to be this... Uh, Red K virus, otherwise known as Virus X on the show, so kind of a nice callback to the pre-crisis comics, that would have would have made the Kryptonians fertile again and capable of having children naturally, but it also would have caused this uh, this sickness or madness. I forget exactly what what track they were going with it. So I, it, it seems like they this was the only way they were able to. So presumably at some point, Lyda and, uh, and Seg would have used the chamber or he would have been conceived during this Red K episode. Ooh. I'm not sure. What I will say is that I felt like they really, they really eased up on the whole time travel aspect. I mean, there's a bit, I really, at just that one point where Adam talks about how he got a glimpse of the future and there was nothing there. So he's afraid he's just destroyed everything. But as far as what the implications of all of this are, I really felt like, and, and I'd be curious to know behind the scenes, what the, what the, thought process was and what the conversations were because it felt like they were just kind of like ah, we'll just yeah. do our own thing here <laughs> and maybe they figured at a certain point whenever the show ended like all right well they'll put the pieces back together right yeah that'd be my question like do they have like a little bit of an end plot like because they kind of you know we never got like any more season two no cape no it ended, the, the last time we see it in season one the the house of l symbol you know changes to a zod symbol and that but that's it you never see it and once again, I have to reiterate what's been said. And I think the Zod symbol, it annoys me that we do not have like a comic 
Like, this is Zod. You know, every time Zod's come up, you know, in, in Smallville, it's kind of that Z thing. And, and then in Man of Steel, like, it was kind of like a, almost like a hint towards Dark Side because it's like a turned looking Omega symbol. And I like the Zod symbol here. Why can't like DC come out and say, this is Zod? <laughs> like, why is every time Zod comes up, like, it is a character that's been used so much, but yet never been able to like funnel down like what Zod's supposed to look like and what the house symbol is. That's fair. Uh, I also want to go back to something you said a moment ago. Is it weird hearing the characters refer to him as Drew? Does that yes. take away some of the mystique of the character? <laughs> and I know it's D-R-U, which is a little more yeah. exotic, but still. <laughs> it, it is odd, you know, because for the longest time, I didn't even know his first name was Drew. I just was odd. You know, and then you find out that's his last name. And I kind of, it is just weird, you know, because you have Lita Zod and you're like, oh, Gina Zod. And then you have Drew Zod and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's Zod. I know. It's like Jeff Zod. It's like, all right. I, you know, that's, that's fine. <laughs> hey, Jeff. <clears throat> Jeff Zod. It's fine. I want to just, uh, again, real quick, just circle back to Kolu for a second here because I had posted about yep. this and you and I messaged about it, but there's such a great moment where, Seg is squaring off with Lobo on Kolu and he, he cocks his arms just like Henry Cavill did in the Mission Impossible movie. It was great. I remember Cameron Cuff like added on a tweet. He's like, where do you think, you know, your grandson learned it? Like under like a picture of Henry doing it. He's like, yeah, runs in a family or something like that. Like it was just like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was such a cool moment. I loved it. It was, I, I had hope that you would catch it. Like when you were watching it, I was like, I'm definitely going to call it out, but I'm like, I hope he catches it. Cause he'll, he'll enjoy it so much more. Um, I did. No, I did. And then again, before, before Adam and Seg depart Krypton, like we said, there's this business about trying to remove Brainiac, uh, the, the nanites from Seg. And look, we've been down this road. We've been down this road with, with Chloe and Smallville, right? Uh, just as one example that, uh, there's always some remnant of Brainiac that remains. So even though it seemed like Seg was in the clear, uh, as they left Kolu and returned to Krypton, we knew that wasn't going to be, we knew that wasn't going to be the case. And for a, a good part of the rest of the season, uh, we have part of Brainiac still residing within Seg and, and sort of giving him this, uh, knowledge and abilities. And there's this, there's this one moment in particular, I mean, there, it pops up a few times, but the one scene in particular when you have Seg and Dev and Jaina in the in Fort Roz, right, fighting their way out, go for it, go for it. It was this was a scene I wanted to tell you. Like this, I just it was so much fun because like Brainy is like behind you, and he's just like turning and shooting, and then he does like the, and he's just like kind of like looks at Dev and Jaina like, and he's just like taking everybody out. Like it was so fun. And their responses just, were, just, were terrific, especially Jaina, like the look on her face of just like, what are like, how are you possibly able to do this? It was, uh, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. It's just one of those scenes that just, it just put a big smile on my face because it was so goofy. Yeah. But so, it was so great. Like Cameron Cuff's face when he's doing the scene where he's just like, pew, pew, pew. he's like, I don't know, just good. You know, like it's, it's great. Yeah, no, no, no. It was, uh, it was, it was really cool. I guess while while we're on this note of talking about Brainiac, eventually, we do get to kind of where where I started this discussion in the episode Zods and Monsters, where uh, Val and Nissa in the fortress are able to uh, extract what's left of Brainiac from Seg, 
Uh, but then Brainiac takes over the Val hologram and sort of changes up his MO rather than trying to bottle up Kandor, realizes that the best of Krypton resides in the L bloodline and in a truly heartbreaking moment takes ba- the newly rechristened baby Jor-El. I know, it was so, dude. And the fact that, like, that is like one of those scenes that I would have expected in the last episode. Like, that could have been my cliffhanger. You know, but no. Like, he takes him, like you said, season, episode seven. And I was just like, oh, oh. And then you're like, well, that's a setup for season three. You have, but, I mean, truly, like, their reactions, and look, for both of us as parents, it's like it, it, uh, you know, it's it's the worst fear, and it and and in this instance in particular, because this is an adversary, they have no means of of reaching, of tracking, right? So that adds a whole other dimension to it. And when we get to the end of the season, and Nissa steals the Zeta beam projector from Adam, it's like, yeah, I would one thousand percent do that. It's like you do what you got to do. Uh, oh, and- she baits Adam. She baits him. She starts asking questions about the Zeta beams and everything, and then she takes him. He's like, oh, you baby, set me up. She. Yeah. Yeah. And the we we end I know, I know I'm jumping around but this I hopefully this all tracks together because we are following certain threads all the way through yeah. here. So I think this I think this will make sense for the audience even if you haven't watched the season. Uh, it's funny because uh, when even during the episode with Zach, he was like I hope people follow what we're saying, but I listened back to it after I'm like I think it I think it all holds together. Yeah. It holds together, but I mean, it is so many like if we're not going to go like episode by episode and beat by beat, like we're just kind of traveling the threads of the overarching narrative. Like it is a very dense, well done show with multiple characters. And I hate how forgotten it is. Yeah. Like that's what bugged me is like, it's one of those shows I like to bring up whenever we can. And at the end of the episode for about, I'll give you my pitch. Like I I'll tell my pitch that I gave you about how tie it into Superman and Lois. Um, But yeah, it, I think we can, they can track us, you know, that cause we're, we're talking about characters and if not, you know what, if you can't track us, go watch the season and come back and listen. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do genuinely hope that, and it is on max, isn't it? No, I, I don't checked. think I, 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 yeah, it's, I, I'm, I, I'm almost positive. I mean, folks double check and look, if you're listening to this years after we recorded it, really check. But, uh, at, <laughs> as of this recording, I'm pretty sure it's it's available to purchase digi- digitally from all the usual places, but I don't believe it's streaming on any of the subscription services. But the DVDs and Blu-rays are relatively affordable. And I'll say this too, look, for all the stuff we talked about- This is the first episodes on on YouTube for free? Oh, well, that's cool. Well, that's at least something. At least check out yeah, the Yeah, that is at least something. But it's like for all the stuff that we talk about here, I, I usually- you know, I'm usually not quick to be like, guys, you got to go out and, and, and read this or watch this. You have, I mean, this is one of those rare instances where I'm like, look, if you're, if you're into Superman and, 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 you know, you've been following these discussions and whatnot, I mean, I, I would imagine that what we've, we've said has hopefully made you intrigued enough to check it out. And, and this is one of those rare instances where I'm going to go out on the limb and be like, I really recommend uh, giving this show a watch. And I say this as someone who foolishly skipped it the first time and, and really found a lot to enjoy uh, this time around. So uh, you know, just to kind of put that out there, but, but yeah, the season ends with, uh, we, we see Brainiac on his ship and ref- he refers to Jor-El as his son. And mm. then we see the ship approaching earth and going back to the the proposal for season three, uh, a, a big part of it was going to be cra- crazy enough as <laughs> though this sounds Brainiac raising Jor-El on earth. And it was going to be like a very twisted version 
of what Kal-El would experience under the care of Jonathan and Martha. Uh, so that's really where we were heading. And on the note of Nyssa, we talked about how she steals the Zeta Beam. Uh, we were going to find out in season three that she was actually a Thanagarian, that her father, Darren Vex, had was Thanagarian and had actually killed the real Darren Vex on Krypton oh, and assumed dang. his identity. And she Holy becomes God. she becomes Hawkwoman, which ties back to what I talked about with Zach last time when at the at the Comic-Con panel, Jeff Johns was like, oh, we're going to have Hawkwoman. He was talking about season one, though, and clearly they never pulled the trigger on that. But the plan was for Nyssa to become a Hawkwoman in the second season. So they, they had some big plans. Wow. Like, wow. Because I, you know, when I was listening to you talk about Hawkwoman, I just thought because Nyssa kind of got dropped in the Rand-Thanagarian War and Darkseid was, you know, we got the Omega sign. The apocalypse even was just kind of there. And I was like, oh, so that's where Hawkwoman would come in at, you know? But dang, that would have been interesting. Because, I mean, we are believe that this Nyssa is a clone. Right? Yes, yes. You know, that's part of the storyline that she's trying to find out who she is. And that's part of why she hates the Vex name and hates her father, who is alive and gets killed like a chump. Okay? <laughs> um, and it's part of why she wants to leave that all behind is she finds out, like, the real Nyssa Vex died and man, I don't, I'm going to sit with that. Like, I don't know if I like her being Thanagarian or not. I don't know. I'm going to sit with that. It's a whole thing. But yeah, I don't know that we even, I don't think we even mentioned that when we were talking about season one, but, but yeah, this whole business about how the Kryptonian elite utilize the Genesis chamber to, uh, to, you know, essentially re replace themselves or, or parts of themselves as needed through this cloning process. And yeah, Nissa finds out that she had died uh, as a young girl and was replaced uh, with, with a clone. So, so there's all of that as well. But so kind of, you know, we've talked about, say, getting out of the Phantom Zone, dealing with Brainiac and Lobo and reuniting with Adam Strange and all the Kolu business. And we followed some of the other threads on Krypton and Corvex and Jor-El, all that. But I want to I want to kind of circle back now to to, I guess, like the central conflict throughout the season and what sort of, you know, uh, ties all of this together, which is uh, you have those who refuse Zod's rule, the rebels, right, who have amassed on the moon Wegthor and you have Val L. And you have Jaxor. So it's like when you have Jaxor and you have a moon, you know that moon is not gonna is, is not gonna fare too well. Although I was surprised at, at how the moon was <laughs> was ultimately destroyed. Uh, but so there that's their their base. And uh, it's it's a it's a key location because it contains deposits of stellarium, which is this element that Zod needs to fuel his interstellar fleet to make Krypton the intergalactic conqueror that he wants it to be yeah that's just which is interesting because it's interesting like do we ever fully understand where his desire of just conquering comes from i'm so okay that so you were on the same page i want i don't know maybe we're coming at this from slightly different ways but this is something i wanted to ask you about because he I love this take on Zod and I love Colin Salmon's performance. It's terrific. It's, it's, you know, like Zach and I talked about last time, it's like, I don't know that we've ever had a bad Zod, you know, and he's definitely, mm. you know, among one of the top ones we've had, but in terms of the, of the writing in particular, he's, he's so single-minded in focus. He's so zeroed in on conquest. And I, I wonder if, maybe we could have added a few more layers there or, or did you find him compelling enough on, on, on that front? I found him compelling at parts because of what he does to come to get what he wants and where to go. 
I also, I always try to find my head cannon or rationale. Like, does he know that there's no way to save Krypton the planet? So his only thing is if we spread out and conquer, that's how we'll have a new planet. Um, <clears throat> something I, I'll ask you here to say, but like that's kind of where my thought process was: is he wants to save Krypton, but he knows there is no saving the planet. Like, and I wish they kind of would have went into that a little bit more. Like, there is nothing that we can do to save the planet. It's gonna, you know, it is doomed no matter what. And Zod's whole thing as well. We'll leave, but we'll leave with power that no one can make us, you know, subservient. We will take what we want. We will be the conquerors and we'll always be on top. Um, <clears throat> my question to you, and I thought about this a lot through this and then other things. When Kryptonians come to Earth, they have powers. Wouldn't it have been neat if Adam Strange went to Krypton and he had powers under the Red Sun? You know, kind of like if our biology and stuff are so similar, why is that not happening? Much like in Smallville, where our friend Zach is right now, where the Kandorians make the sun red so that they can flip and have powers because of what was done to them. What if it had given Earthling powers too? Uh, that like, would have been interesting. Just because our we're supposed to be so similar, but yet there's a difference, and it's the yellow sun. So what happens if you know we are under their sun? I'm just like that could have been something interesting with the Adam Strange story. As he went on, he started finding himself a little faster. You know, we're not, we're not talking full on Superman, but maybe like, you know, Golden Age Superman. He can run a little faster. He's a little bit stronger, and he starts to become more of like this hero character, like folk hero type thing, because he's experiencing their atmosphere. I don't know, just something there. That is no, I, that that is interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd have Why to... didn't Seg start getting powers on Kolu? Oh yeah, because I mean. That'd be a way if you wanted to write something fun, like all of a sudden Seg gets some heat vision because I love my heat vision fighting Brainiac because he's got like a yellow sun. They didn't throw enough of a filter on that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. These are good questions. These are good questions. I mean, I I don't, yeah, I don't know. But because I'm, I'm saying about <laughs> no, my I wife, love... I said something the other night and she's like, that was funny. I'm like, I know it was. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> but that again, that this this back and forth between. Uh, the rebels and uh, Zod and his forces. Again, this drives a lot of the season. And there's the space elevator between Krypton and Wegthor. Uh, at one point, Nyssa is sent uh, to Wegthor to infiltrate by Zod, who has taken Corvex. This is earlier in the season. And she feeds information to the rebels that allows them to take out some of Zod's forces and obtain their oxygen respirators. And man, they don't like I said before. This show really surprised me in a lot of ways and kept me on my toes. But if there was one thing that they were really telegraphed, it was this. Because man, again, the, the number of times that Jaxor or Val talked about how oh, we'll use we'll use the respirators that we took <laughs> that we took from Zod's forces. It's like oh no, guys, don't. It's really going to be bad, and it ends up it ends up proving the case. But I mean, with that same thing, if Zod's minds so much about Krypton. He sacrifices and kills so many Kryptonians. Like their civil war is so bad. Um, how they just start killing each other in battle. And I I'm just, you know, I, I've always kind of had this headcanon in my in my mind, like as Krypton approached more of its last days, the planet had just come under with, you know, 
civil war, disease, or whatever, it had shrunk the population down so much. Like, you know, I, I was like the idea that when Krypton exploded, it mainly had a few million people left. Like, just you had the three main cities, that was all that's left. So the idea of like someone like Jorel might be p- prominent because there aren't that many Kryptonians left. And I like in this, like the idea that Zod's turned them against each other so much that they're killing each other without really thinking about what's going on. I mean, there are times where it gets, I mean, especially like when this, when they do that charge and she's running, doing like the 300, you know, run on the side and she's like, boom, slices some dude. Like it's brutal. It is. And that's, you know, that's at the end where she's now fighting against Zod's forces. But yeah, I mean, I, and I think, but I think that this whole notion of what Zod has wrought and what it takes for Zod to fulfill his vision, uh, some of which we see, some of which we're told about, but this whole somatic reconditioning, this whole idea Mm. that he is literally reprogramming people who disagree with him or imprisoning people who disagree with him, waging this war with the rebels on the moon, again, allowing these tainted respirators uh, to be taken so that when the rebels then use them to try to cross uh, to try to cross the moon, uh, they are, 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 you know, they end up suffocating, right? Because they're using these, uh, these, these respirators that he sent up there. So, but what I liked about this was that, and I know I'm jumping ahead and I, I kind of want to save this a little bit more for, for a few minutes, but you do ultimately see that those around him, the forces around him do this ultimately registers with them that what he's doing does not seem to line up with what he's preaching about uh, about a unified Krypton and Kryptonian life above all else because he's responsible for so much of that Kryptonian life being lost. And you have, the ultimately the people do turn on him. And I thought that was, you know, I, I really appreciated sort of this like battle for the soul of Krypton. And I liked where that landed. We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here. And there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue. Always hold on to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragon's comic, and read a free sample. Also, Parry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. I mean, I think they wrote to where you could have done some sort of maybe a redemption arc for Zod in the third season. Um, <clears throat> about just, and I say redemption like in the term of like Star Wars, you know, very lighthearted uh, redemption where he does try to do something good. But yeah, it is one of those like, and maybe we'll learn more about him because, you know, there are the lines that are dropped about growing up without a father and what he went through. And we see patterns of how Zod's raised their children. And if you look at, <clears throat> you know, you, it's hard with the time travel element because it changes so many people's 
hey, but you look at the track that Jaina was taking Lyda. And then if Lyda fully embraced that, if she would have had a son and then Seg's dead, how she would have raised Drew. And it just continues that that trajectory of the way Zod's raised their children. Um, you think you add in the intelligence of an L, and but with that warrior. Because um, I mean, we, we see that both Jaina and Lyda do kind of puff themselves up when they walk, like they are House Zod. Um, so, I mean, you can kind of start to see where Drew would have been like that. So for sure. So look, speaking of Lyda, we got to talk about this. This was, I thought one of the most fascinating pieces of this season, because when we, when we left season one, again, she's at the right hand of Zod as he's making the speech about how everyone will kneel before him. And in the early part of this season here, we see Lyda making quite a number of shall we say questionable choices she's responsible for the execution of 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 darren vex right in order to lure uh in order to lure nissa out she is not only aware of but actually participating in and ordering some of this uh somatic reconditioning of people mm-hmm. there's one of the fellow sagittari who reminds her of seg and there's this brief moment, this poor guy who's like, oh, he's like, oh, she's interested in me. And, and then she like just beats the crap out of him. Oh, yeah. That was intense. So she's she's making all was there. I know there's more stuff that I that I uh, that's escaping me at the moment. But other choices, other things she does that at that point in the season that really kind of make you that kind of make you doubt anything else that stands out. I mean, just where she she was. I don't, I don't want to say that she was weak in the first season but she showed compassion and tried to understand. And it's, it's like this fully self-actualized version of Lyta had Jaina done everything she thought, but then she jumped over the shark and she's just, um, it's almost like the self-actualized version of what drew would want his mom to be yes. like, like this, this Lyta is his mom in the sense of she's everything that he would want from her. So it kind of makes you wonder about, maybe where their relationship was in the initial timeline of how they were, because this is like what I want from my mom. Like he was creating the mom that he always wished he had. No, that's a good point. And I, re- I remember the, the other, the other key piece of this that I wanted to mention, which is when Seg initially returns to Krypton from Kolu and he's, you know, storms into Fort Ross and he reunites with Lyda and they have a, a reunion and they bang and <laughs> it is what it is. And, yeah. but at this point in the story, I think Zod had taken or Lyda or Zod, right. Had taken Corvax. And this is when Nissa had been sent to Wegthor. And so, so uh, the, again, the baby is in the care of the Zods at this point. And uh, Seg, you know, at least has the moment where he can, he can meet his son. And Lyda makes a comment about how we can be together with our son. And Seg does a double take, right? Because it's like, well, that's, he has a mother, right? And that's, and that's Nissa. So there was, there were, this is all to say that Lyda's behavior, right? In the first part of the season. And this is, I think the brilliance of the show. And I really give them a lot of credit because it's far enough where you say, Ooh, this isn't quite the Lyda that we knew, right? The Lyda who was so concerned about the rankless initiative in the first season and wanting to make sure that the people down below weren't harmed and that the orders were carried out fairly and humanely. Right. So it, it's far enough where it feels like a departure from that. But 
This is also Elida, who had been put in this position where she had to choose between her son and her mother, and she's haunted by the decision that she made. Uh, and most importantly, Seg has been gone. It's been six months, right, when this picks mm -hmm. up again. So for all she knows, she'll never see him again. And so the idea that the choices she's made and what she's been through and what we haven't seen in those six months and the grief that she's gone through, thinking that Seg is gone forever, the, the behavior is not so far gone where you're like, oh, she's not herself, it's not her. It's it, it tracks enough where you're like, well, maybe she got to this point. At least that's how I felt. How did you feel with this? I mean, I pretty much the same. I mean, it's just kind of like, she chose this and now she's living in her choices. She's, you know, she kind of gets overlooked, devalued, tossed around in the first season. And now it's kind of like, it's almost like a woman who's taking charge of her, of her life and of herself, which is kind of cliche when you think about what this actually is. Um, but, you know, you got to think about how Seg was like, oh, I, you know, he's into her and everything. But then you have the Nissa angle, her mom's, you know, not really embracing her. And then her son shows up. It's just so weird. Like, you know, her son, old son. And she chooses that, you know? And so you're kind of like, you can kind of see, like you said, wow, in these six months, she's, look what she's become. And you, you buy it. Like, there's enough there. You're like, yeah, I can, I see it. Yeah. So, I mean, I give them a lot of credit because they could have made her so over the top. We're like, oh, it's clearly something's gone on with her. Um, oh, and I was almost forgetting this. So I, I thought this was interesting too, where, you know, there's a lot of back and forth and I, some of the details might have already uh, <laughs> escaped my memory here, but you know, Seg, Seg is convinced that she's been subjected to this somatic reconditioning. And at first it seems like she hasn't, but then he finds these secret records, right? Where she had been. Um, oh, so that's smooth, smooth, how he gets it. He's like, he just talking. He's like, you know who I am? You know who my son is? Which I, I have to chuckle because it's like, your son is, it's like, yeah, my son, <laughs> Drew Zod, the savior of Krypton. Like, and I was just like, well, yeah. No, I know. But then, uh, you know, he, he uncovers that she's been subjected to this procedure, but then it's, I think Zod later, who's like, all I did was remove her, her, her guilt, right? Like essentially that she wasn't programmed to the point where she doesn't know what she's doing, right? So there's all this back and forth where you're not quite sure what is she really cognizant of and responsible for? Mm -hmm. To what extent has she been manipulated? And then we get the two biggest turns of the season when it comes to Lyda. First, when she is, spoiler alert, seemingly executed, her throat slit by Jack Zor on Wegthor because she's, you know, she convinces Zod to let her join the battle up on the moon and she gets taken. And uh, the demand is that, um, you know, if, if Zod and his, for if Zod's forces don't retreat, uh, Jack Zor will execute um Lyda. And as much as Zod promises that he will, of course, it turns out that he still has his forces there and this is uncovered. And Jaxor holds true to her word and on a broadcast to all of Krypton or Kandor City, slits the throat of, of Light. I mean, again, I know it's been a while since you watched this the first time, right? But do you remember what your reaction was? Did you, was there any part of you that's yeah. like, oh my God, they actually killed her? My first thought was, oh my God, they actually killed her. And I thought, well, all of their, all like, she doesn't have to be there to 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 make Drew. Like that's what I was saying. Like that's the loophole by just putting your genetic material in the like the bank. I mean, in, in all reality, you could walk up there, put your finger in one time, then they could just pull up your file like Seg and Lida, Seg and Nissa, Seg and you know. So 
you know, her, we did get a scene in the first interview with her and Dev putting, I don't remember, but like it is not above thought that she already has her genetic information in the database. So she doesn't actually have to physically birth Zod. So I was like, they could have just done that because that could have been your catalyst for even more things. So I, I bought in. I mean, and I was watching this um, as it aired. I bought them on iTunes. So, of course, you know, they would broadcast it. The next day it would drop. I'd watch it. So I was watching it as live as possible. So, of course, like I get up and watch the episode. So I have to wait another week to find out what happened. So, you know, we were reviewing at the time. And some of those episodes got lost. That's a long story. But um, I just remember being like, I, I was in. Because I'm like, there's no, there's not a really a reason why they don't have to do this. Uh, man, I I concur, and I'll share. It got me. I was re- I was genuinely surprised. Uh, it, or you know, going back to what I said to Zach last week, there's so much about the show that's like surprising yet inevitable. Like there are certain things where, and that's a good example where it's like, well, it man, it totally makes sense that Jaxor of all characters, right, would hold true to her word. You know, when we pick up with that character, right, a six months have passed, she's lost her eye, she's got the cybernetic eye. Uh, so, you know, she's she's been through it and she's this military tactician. So the idea that she's now, on the other hand, you can argue like, well, maybe ex, maybe, <laughs> you know, executing this person in front of everyone won't necessarily like pull the people over to your side. I think in terms of strategy, it was a little, a little dubious, but, but, it's but still, that's why she has Val though. Yes. Like, it's like this thing where it's like. Her cause can still go on, even if Val's kind of leading because Val's like the different voice. But I love the performance because there is the hesitancy. If you watch the the, the little um, beats beforehand, where she gets nervous because like there's the issues with the broadcast, they find out the forces are there, and she hesitates, and then she just does it. You know, so it's not like she just did it. Like you could see in the character, there was buildup of. I don't know if I really want to do this and go through with this. Yeah. And you get, it's a good, it's at least one episode, maybe two where they're mourning her and you really think like that's it. And also too, like for me watching this, there's only two seasons and you know, we're deep into the season at this point. So I was kind of like, okay, like maybe they killed her off. But then, as I said, this was that the, her death was the first of two genuinely surprising turns. And the second is that we find out the Lyda who was murdered on Wegthor was a clone and this fan of the Spider-Man clone saga was absolutely delighted. <laughs> and that Zod has had the real Lyda all this time under the influence of the Black Mercy. I mean, this Man, show it, is like, ah, chef's kiss. It killed me so hard to not want to talk. Like, I had to dance around Black Mercy stuff when you, <laughs> you and I talked about it. Because <clears throat> this was like a good live action version. And I remember saying, it was on Krypton. But I didn't go too much into it. I was just like... Ah, because I didn't want to give that spoiler. And what I love is you're not thinking clone, but I mean, they set it up in the first season and with the Nissa stuff. So it's there. It's not like it came out of nowhere. Like it, there's, there's prominence for it. So you're like, Oh snap. But it wasn't so in your face that you knew it all along. What's what I was kicking myself about was like, I don't, again, I, I, it didn't bother me that I didn't predict she was actually alive, but I feel like I should have predicted that they would have, replaced her after the fact with a clone right because that again that had totally but it just i was so in it and i really it just felt like okay i was just i bought you know i bought what they were showing me but and again i feel like on a 
on a lesser show, they would have then just, again, you know, Zod would have recreated her with a clone. But no, it's like the idea that that had been the clone and the real one was under the Black Mercy. And I, I think what was, again, what was what really kept me on my toes was that, uh, again, you had all of this business about the somatic reconditioning. Like there were just so many questions about what what was going on with her, but it still felt enough like her. Like you feel like she could have had this turn naturally. It was it was great. But then this, the sense of relief when it's, oh, it's, she's actually there and she's back and she's the the good, the quote unquote good Lyda uh, that we knew. Uh, it was great. What did you think of the Black Mercy? Just the way they did it. It was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. probably true to, you know, you know, true to life. I mean, <laughs> if, it, if it were a real thing, I mean, uh, the fact that it's, you know, it's got all these, you know, tentacles and just like, you know, really latches on and like down your throat. I mean, it's, it was pretty good. Oh my God. When she wakes, when she wakes up from it and she pulls it out of herself and she's like puking it up. And uh, when she had her reunion with Seg and they're kissing, all I could think of was like, was there any mouthwash anywhere around here? Because this is <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh man. But I like how the black mercy plays a dual role. I know we haven't really touched on it yet, but they're using the Black Mercy to build something to help mind control a certain other character. If that's where you want to talk about, I don't want to jump the gun on that one. No, go for it. Go for it. Well, they're using Black Mercy Extract to help control Doomsday so that Doomsday will be submissive to Zod. And I thought that was a neat way of you know, using the Black Mercy, like it's, it's organic how it shows up. Like, you know, Zod hadn't had it, knowledge of it. Um, so it doesn't feel like it's so left, like out of left field, you know, or forced. Like we, you had talked last week and we we're talking now, homages and things that get done that aren't like, oh, here's this, because you, you know, this, or we brought this in, this character, everything felt very organic to why it's there and having the not only having it to subdue Lida, but the idea that he had it because it was a way to start to control doomsday. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the perfect place to go to doomsday. I'll just, the last thing just to kind of button up the Lida of it at the episode where you find out that she's under the thrall of the black mercy, that episode opens, I believe with, with one of her visions, right. Of this fantasy. So, but this is before you see her, and the Black Mercy. So you start this episode and it's like this idyllic fantasy, right, where she and Seg are together and you're not quite sure. And I, again, I like the way that unfolded because on the heels of an episode or two where her character is dead and off the board, you're really not expecting it. And you figure it's Seg having this fantasy at some point or it's going to be a dream. Like you really mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, and so I appreciated it. But the, oh my God, the doomsday of it all. I, 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 uh, I think ultimately this, this would be my number one on-screen depiction. Although I have to say the ending of season three of Superman and Lois gives it a run for its money. I, I love how, how that emerged and the note that we ended on and the Rocky three finish and all of that. But <laughs> that's but, my favorite like battle, but this one's my favorite look because yes. I feel like it's closer to the comic book. I mean, it does have like a, it's like an old man with a beard face, but the overall body and everything is closer to what um, I would want for doomsday. I mean, this dooms. So, look, we, we're well versed in the the comic book lore and that Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey miniseries by Dan Jurgens, right? Mm-hmm. Shortly after the death and return of Superman, where you find out that Doomsday was this uh, ancient 
Kryptonian experiment, right? And this idea that he was constantly killed and revived and with each death and resurrection, he was able to withstand whatever had destroyed him before. And so that allows him to evolve over the course of all of these experiments into this unstoppable killing machine. So we have that sort of Kryptonian experiment piece. Mm -hmm. Then, as we've talked about here and our buddy Zach has talked about a lot on uh, Always Hold On to Smallville when he covers season eight, you know, the Smallville TV show gave us this whole other spin born out of the constraints of CW <laughs> television budgets, but they made it work where this, again, is this idea of the, the the experiment, but with a human side, this human camouflage that allows the monster to blend in with society. And that gave us Davis Bloom, this like tragic figure, right? Uh, and that's its, its own conversation. But the idea of a human component to the monster, right, was something that Smallville gave us. And then... Out of nowhere, this little two-season sci-fi show, <laughs> here comes Krypton, that gives us this like perfect blend of the two, where we get flashbacks. Is it in that Zods and Monsters episode, or is it a different one? I, I think like it's yeah, that one. I'm pretty it sure one. it is, yeah. Where we get flashbacks to long ago on Krypton, where you have a member of the House of El and the House of Zod, and there's this you know Kryptonian civil war, right? And they're trying to... Uh, again, develop this means of of ending the war, and you we we meet poor Dax, right? This this Kryptonian with a unique genetic structure, right? Uh, I guess this capability to evolve. I think that's right. This sort of the idea yeah. of it, and played by his name is escaping me at the moment, but he played Staz. This is like Staz or so, like Staz. He has an right? interesting name, Staz. Yeah, uh, yeah. but he played and, William uh, Day on the final season or final two seasons of uh, yep. Supergirl. Supergirl. And yeah, my uh, my first reference to Krypton was all of a sudden in the last season of Supergirl, he just changes into Doomsday because he's actually Doomsday the whole time, calling back to this show. Oh, uh, that's what, like I have all kinds of jokes I made throughout that final Supergirl run with him. Ever since he joined the show, I was like, he's gonna be Doomsday. Um, yeah, of course that didn't happen, but yeah, <laughs> that would have. I mean, my God, that would have been badass, man. That would have been cool. For right. You just would have been like, oh my God, where'd this come from? It's like, watch Krypton. <clears throat> um, but it gave you like, he's like, he wants to be a hero and you know, help Krypton. He's like, I have the genetic to do this. And we see them like the first, like where they set him on fire and then he pops up and they're like, and he's just burning. And the L is more of the heartless one. Oh yeah. And she is tough. And then they're like, he, and then they watch and he dies. And they're like, resurrection protocol, press the button, comes, and then they're like, experiment number, they kill him again. And I mean, they just. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's this whole thing where it's like, again, like you said, like they burn him and then it's like, okay, test number one failed. Resurrection protocol. He comes back, they burn him again. This time it doesn't kill him. It's like, okay, test number one, like success. And then they, they keep moving on. And it's, but at the beginning of this, like he's enlisted for this. He signed up. He's, he wants to do his part for Krypton and he has, a, it's, it's a heartbreaking farewell with his wife. Right. And they have this bit where, you know, they each put their finger on either side of the glass and, you know, but they don't know exactly what this process is going to entail or what this is going to do to him. And it's, I mean, it's not, it's not totally dissimilar from what Superman and Lois gave us where Lex is, you know, continually putting that poor Bizarro right through, uh, you know, through these, uh, you know, horrific experiments to ultimately turn him into doomsday. So it's, there's this brutality to it and it's tough to watch and stomach. And you're right. The L is, is more about it than, than the Z. Although I have to say, like, it did make me laugh where 
it takes the Zod until like uh, experiment hundred, yeah, or like there are hundreds of experiments <clears throat> in where he's like, oh, I think we should stop. It's like, oh, now you think you should stop? Yeah, it's yeah. like, where were you hundreds yeah. of experiments ago? <clears throat> now after, because then, you know, his wife busts in and, you know, it's like, I want to see my husband. And there's the part where they build up like, he's not your husband anymore. And like doomsday comes walking, you know, up to the glass and still has, you know, remnants of who he is on the inside, you know? So <clears throat> what I think is interesting is they didn't completely finish the experiment. So that's how I kind of took it. So we never got to the part where they've completely made him unkillable. Like they haven't. So, you know what I'm saying? Like it, they never got to where it was like, oh, he's complete. Like we've, we've figured out everything. And what I think is interesting is like they do the resurrection protocol. Like, well, what is that? Because is that something? Cause like we see like on Superman Lois, like it's triggered inside himself and on Smallville, like he would die and then his body would naturally heal and come back from it. So I was like, is there something they're doing that's bringing him back? You know? So I thought, you know what? I thought the same thing. That was again, not to nitpick, but there, but that was one thing where I was like, why, why are we having this? Cause it's like, if you, is there something unique to, to this guy, Dax, where he's able to be resurrected or do you act, can you resurrect people generally? Cause that's, are you sitting on that? I mean, that seems like a pretty big, uh, pretty big I mean, uh, development. Maybe. And they just, it's one of those things like they just, cause it's elitist. So I don't know, maybe cause they talk, they try to talk like he has his genes, you know? And I'm surprised they didn't clone him. <laughs> like if he, and then they could make an army of this if it worked. It was, uh, I mean, I have to say, I, I did not know about this backstory that Krypton gave him. And it was truly heartbreaking. Again, when the monster and the wife each put their finger up to the glass, I, you know, it, it really gets you. And it's, uh, look, again, not to beat up on Smallville, their, their whole take on Davis Bloom. I it like, was great until they made Davis the actual, like, yes. a monster just as much as the doomsday part of him. Exactly. So per, you said it perfectly, and I'll leave it at that. So what I liked here was that you know it maintains the tragedy here, whereas this guy who was just trying to do the right thing uh, and gets turned into this monstrosity. And and Doomsday, they use him sparingly throughout the season, but effectively they're... Because again, at the beginning part of the season, he's just kind of out there, and there's one po point where at the beginning of an episode, like he attacks some ships right out in the ice yeah. lands. And like, you just see him for a second. But eventually Zod is able to get the drop on him and subdue him and bring him back to, to Fort Roz. And to your point, they, they start to use uh, the black mercy to enable, um, you know, to, to make doomsday susceptible to Zod's commands. There was, <laughs> there was a funny moment where, you know, the scientist I think is essentially trying to temper Zod's expectations about, uh, you know, what, what they're trying to do, something to that effect. And Zod is like, we're not trying to get him to make speeches here. Like he just needs to be, <laughs> which made me laugh. But, you know, we get to the point and it's such a, it's the imagery is so striking when they've utilized this black mercy procedure on, on doomsday and he's released from his harness and Zod gives him the command to kneel and doomsday kneels before Zod. It's like, what a, what an image. Yeah. And, but it works. Like it doesn't feel like you're cheating. It feels earned. It feels like it's been set up. Um, you're not getting that like, oh, man, like they just they just had to do that. Like, you know, the Neil, like you guys talked about, the Neil before Zod is can be such a tacky line, but they were able to do it so well by doing it sparingly and then making it mean something when he does say it. Yeah. 
No, it was. And then, you know, episode nine is the big episode where Zod sends Doomsday in a ship to Wegthor. And, you know, there's all this business about there's kind of a weird heat, heat signature in the ship and they're expecting all these troops and it's just this one monster. And, you know, he's, ter- you know, it's, it's funny. Look, we've talked a lot about how what a letdown the end of uh, season eight of Smallville was and the fight between Clark and quote unquote yeah. fight between Clark <laughs> and Doomsday. But between Superman and Lois season three, and uh, and now going back and finally watching this business on Krypton, I I feel like I, I I'm good. I'm good with what we've gotten. You know, I mean, Doomsday is brutal, and he goes like just tearing up people, and like they don't pull back. Like he steps on a dude's head and smushes it. You see some body parts lying around. Like he. Like they have that scene of like everyone shooting him, all the soldiers are, and they're like, We got him. And of course everyone cheers, and then he just stands up and keeps and I'm just like <coughs> I'm like, run, run. Yeah, it's it's so striking, it's so effective, it's like everything that you would want. It's they make great use of the fact that they're on cable, right? So they can get away with more. Uh, you know, it's just as far as showing the reality of what it would be like if you had this unstoppable machine tearing through these poor soldiers. And this leads to what you were alluding to before. We haven't mentioned him yet. And we only mentioned him really briefly in the first episode, but Kim, right? The buddy of Seg who who runs the bar in the first season and Seg's best pal. His best pal. And he's, he's one of the rankless who are former rankless who are conscripted into military surface. Seg's Jimmy Olsen. That's, I like that. I like that. And so, you know, he's initially one of the Sagittarii at, at the start of this. But of course, when the opportunity presents itself, defects uh, and, and starts working with Val and Adam and the Adam, uh, you know, Kem bromance continues to grow. And you really see Kem's evolution, right? He's He steps up, right? And he, he becomes actually an effective commander while also retaining his humanity, uh, which I thought was, mm-hmm. was, was a really nice touch. Oh, yeah. And of course... You know, you have the part where they're going to detonate bombs and, you know, keep Doomsday and him and sick because everybody's going to get off basically on the ship that Doomsday come, came in. They're going to take it and get, get out of the, you know, the moon. And uh, Sig's got their detonator and <sighs> Sig's going to sacrifice himself in their thing. But then Kim, you know, pulls a fast one on him and decides he's going to do it. And it's a really sad scene where, you know, Seg's mad and, He's like, no, don't do this. And he's like, I have to. And he's, you know, and he's like, it's not your job, basically. And I will say that if there's one thing about this show that I would change, that I disagree with, is they brutally killed Kim. They did. Um, To your point, though, that moment where Kim activates the force field, right, and is able to... To keep Seg away. I love that moment because, you know, Seg is talking about how it's my responsibility. I have to do this. I have to detonate these bombs manually to stop, to stop the monster. And, and Kem is like, no, like it's, it's like, this is up to all of us. Like we all have to step up. And I, I like, I mean, that felt very much what Seg was going through felt very much like, like Superman, right? Like he, you know, he would take this on, he would sacrifice himself, but that there's this Superman within all of us. Right. And uh, you know, it's funny, one of the, our upcoming episodes, and I've already done my homework for it, uh, we'll be looking at the new Krypton arc from the Lois and Clark television series. And, you know, at the end of season three of that show, Superman goes off to help stop a civil war on new Krypton. And he has this speech to, 
to the citizens of earth as he's leaving the daily planet. And he's like, you know, you got to look, look within yourselves now. Like I won't be here. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I, I really, I love that, that exchange between the two of them and they reminisce about the, the, the hustles they used to pull on, on the, on the soldiers and everything. And it's, and it's heartbreaking. And look again, keeping me on my toes as you're watching it, you definitely feel like, Oh, this really feels like a final moment, but you know, Kem is also a series regular. Yeah. I I didn't know exactly which way this was going to go. I get what you're saying. It was particularly brutal, but there was such an, I thought there was such an, a beautiful artfulness to the way they depicted his ending specifically with the sound where, you know, he's in this dark tunnel, right? And you see his reaction, right? Like, you know, he's registering something and he turns around and there's doomsday there and the sound drops out and it's just the the score at this mm-hmm. point. And doomsday just shoves his, it just punches, literally punches a hole through Kem and lifts him up and Kem flips him off, <laughs> puts up his middle finger and Doomsday then rips his head off. And as this happens, Kem drops the, his arm lets, you know, falls and he drops the detonator. And for a brief second, I was like, oh my God, do they, ma- are they going to make it that like he didn't, he wasn't able to press it in time. I was like, that'd be tragic. Yeah. Thankfully they didn't go that route and, uh, you know, it goes off and, uh, you know, all all of the, or I guess enough of the rebels, including our protagonists, are able to get off the moon. But uh, it traps Doomsday and it sets off this chain reaction that that ob- obliterates the entire moon of Wakethor. But yeah, it was it was brutal. It was I, I don't know what what was, it was the decapitation that was too much. I mean, yeah, like here I punched through him and he's in and he just. <laughs> I was just like, man, for such the sweet, good character that's you know, and then. The follow-up scene where Seg's on this like a a ship that can supposedly fly through space, and he, they didn't know he made it out. And he's talking to Val, and Seg's crying, and he's talking about Kim, and he goes, "See, I get all choked up just saying it because it was this is a really great scene where he's like, Kim, House L, son of, or brother to Seg L, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about like it's not always about blood, like Val." ranked Kim at the end with them and their family. Yeah. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On to Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. No, it was, I'm getting choked up too, thinking about it. It I know, like it was just, it was so good because, you know, he's like, (coughs) excuse me, they had said like how Kim was like, you know, a brother to say and they're best friends and, you know, and then in the end he'll be remembered amongst the house, so. Yeah, I was sad to see him go. I mean, knowing that, I guess I would have felt, had the show continued, and if I knew there were more seasons, I think I would have felt it even more, but it's like I knew we weren't going to spend time with 
with any of these characters yeah. after these episodes. But no, I, I thought that was so effective, so well done. I love that he had that moment. I agree. It was the decapitation was a bit much, but it also probably what would happen, you know? And it was just like, it was it, like, that's the thing you, you really, yeah, the decapitation really, I was not expect I was not expecting to see Kem's head get ripped off, but it was like, okay, right. like we're really like, this is it. Uh, yeah, it was tough. And then, you know, I think this kind of brings us to the climax of the season here where we have this final assault on, on Zod and this final showdown, right? Uh, really among the, the three of them, this family unit of Seg and Lyda and, uh, and Zod here. And we get, I know I'm jumping around and skipping ahead a little bit, no, but we fine. get this the you know and look we've talked about these these callbacks and these little little things like that but they always feel earned this one maybe was pushing it a little bit but it was so cool was, and badass that i, I could i had to let it go it was so good where seg takes a few steps outside the, the the palace uh and says general would you care to step outside oh it was perfect but it, as much as it it still worked without feeling too forced yeah you know what i'm saying like cuz it was like he said it in just enough of a different way. Like, it, I'll, I'll allow it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll allow it. I'll, I'll, I'm good. Like, you can argue all that's too... Nah. It didn't seem as forced as, like, some of the reference that Smallville tries to put in there. You know? Like, it it felt natural. I'll take it. And, I, again, this goes back to what I was saying before, that, yes, that that's, that's the moment that leads to the physical confrontation where, he, you know, they, they fight, right? For Seg and, and Zod and then Lyda gets in on the battle and, and all of that. And, of course, they're ultimately able to subdue Zod. But before that, the, you know, I feel like the, the ultimate victory, the true victory comes before that when uh, Seg is able to get through to the people, right? And, and mm -hmm. they have this moment out there. Uh, and that's where, as I was saying before, one of the you know, one of these soldiers who's been part of the inner circle here and saw Zod enact his brutality on those who, who came before him uh, actually turns and refuses to follow Zod's orders. So as much as, yes, this does then then ultimately come down to this fist fight, right, on, on, the, on the steps outside. But before that, there was this turn where people saw Zod's true colors. And, and I like that. I'm glad that they had that moment. I was watching and I looked at my kid and I was like, because Solomon was popping in and out, and Sailor was just sitting there. She was playing on the iPad next to me, not paying attention. And I was watching this. I was like, "Is this child abuse?" <laughs> just like to myself, I'm like, "It's a dad beating on his son." Sure, the son's older and well trained and bigger, but you know, <laughs> like, well, would you classify this? <laughs> yeah, it's and also going back. I know I said this before, right? This idea that they they really kind of let go of the whole time travel aspect because when. When Lyda was seemingly killed, no one talked about the potential ramification for Zod coming into existence. No one. And it makes sense that yeah. Zod wasn't talking about it because Zod knew that his mother was still alive, albeit in this in this mm -hmm. state under the Black Mercy. But like, it just never came up, which I, in, in fairness, there was so much going on and it was so genuinely compelling that I don't think they needed the crutch of, hey, this is all to save Superman in the future. But at the same time, we do have these time travelers. <laughs> we do have these these aspects at play. So I don't know. Maybe I would have liked at least a little bit more of a recognition of what the larger picture is. But again, it was so compelling as it was that I, I don't want to nitpick on that. I mean, they could have cleared it all up, you know, in a third season. Um, you know what I'm saying? With time travel, it depends on how you establish your rules. Then they, 
it did seem like they were playing by Back to the Future rules more so than MCU time travel rules. So, <clears throat> you know, the Flash, we're going to keep it DC, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's very possible at the end that Adam Strange could have done something and just took Drew back to the beginning, you know, kind of like he'll remember Seg and Val on this journey, but you'll never remember what's happened here. And like, you know, and he went back and whatever, um, kind of brought, you know, restored Krypton before and we actually see it play out like it's supposed to, I don't know, you know, something like you could have done like that where they got to a point where the only way to save was to go back and, you know, let everything unfold naturally. But we never got that. I mean, and speaking of Adam, like he got paralyzed and Val made him robot legs basically to get a walk, which kind of helps form the Adam Strange look suit. He gets a jetpack. So I was like, all he's missing is his pistols, you know, and stuff. So because that was like one thing throughout the whole thing. I'm like, Where, where's Adam's costume? And, I know. He's just in a hoodie and jeans. <laughs> and I'm like, this ain't Smallville. <laughs> I know. I was glad that I was glad that they got him to that point. I, you know, the last thing with the fight that I, I really appreciated was, I, I, I don't know if Zod says something to Seg along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing broadly, but like you're nobody essentially, right? And and Seg says it's like, yeah, like I'm nobody important, nobody special, but I'm gonna take you take you down. And I, I again, I don't have the exact quote top of mind, but I like the the spirit of that exchange between them because it's like, yeah. When we think of the legend of Superman and the Kryptonian lore, again, if, if anything, we think of Jor-El, right? But this idea mm-hmm. that there was this other key figure here who played this pivotal role uh, and stepped up when the time came, I really, I, I really appreciated it. So I loved as much as, again, we had some big stuff. We had this beautifully realized Phantom Zone. We had more with Brainiac. We had a Doomsday. I mean, like there was so much big stuff, but I did love that it ultimately did come down to this fist fight. Uh, between the two yeah. of them, between father and son. It felt right. It, yeah, it did. Almost like a prince challenging a king, you know? And if we're going to get biblical, for example, you know, there's ramifications and similarities in there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny, the finale begins with Zod on the precipice of conquest, right? On his, with you know, leading his fleet. And, you know, the whole time in the back of my head, I'm like, like, oh, is this not going to end well? Again, it's so, in retrospect, it's so obvious, but at the time it wasn't <laughs> dawning on me, but ultimately we, the last we see of Zod at the end of this season, he now uh, is being subjected to the Black Mercy and living out his fantasy, but out of commission. Uh, and then- it's, yeah. I mean, it's a callback to the end for the man who has everything. Yes, with Mongol where put, for sure. Where they put it, exactly, that's, you know, where, especially like the animated series where Mongol's happy- living on a planet where he's conquering and, you know, you have Superman, Diana and Bruce talking about what do you think he's seeing? And that's kind of like how you homage something without being blatant about it. <clears throat> yeah. And we do get again, this return appearance from Lobo and he and Sag are going to team up because Lobo's whole thing is he wants to kill Brainiac. Right. And their, their objectives are aligned because Brainiac has Jor-El. So they're going to team up, you know, the team up that now we never get to see. I, I will say this. And then again, we end with uh, the ship approaching Earth with Brainiac and Jor-El. Going into this, I did think, and I was afraid that this was going to end on more of a cliffhanger, like a true cliffhanger where, again, we're in the middle of battle or something and you don't know who, who lives and who dies. Clearly, there's plenty that was unresolved, but I felt like there was 
I mean, I'm, I'm so disappointed that we didn't get to see more and I would still love to see this get resolved in some way, shape or form. And we'll get to that in a second. I want to toss it to you. But uh, at the same time, it, it, it put in, they put enough of a button on the storylines that we had been following and it was more just, okay, we had set up for the next season that we didn't get to see. But I at least felt like, again, in terms of this battle between the rebels and Zod and all that, like I felt like we got a, a conclusion there. So I, I felt good about that at least. Yeah. You know, I also, I had said before about how this was, you know, truly, I think one of the best love triangles we've had. I know we really haven't talked about it much during the episode, but compelling cases I feel to be made from both Nissa and Lyda. And the heartbreaking thing, I, th- I thought this was such a great scene and a great line and a great delivery where, you know, Nissa has this moment with Seg where she's like, oh, Lyda's the love of your life, right? He's like, you know, yeah. And he's like, and I'm afraid that you're mine. Like you're the love of my life, right? And, but she knows that, she's not that for him. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. And, you know, Seg's a good guy. It's caught at one of those interesting um, places. And it kind of like <clears throat> makes me think like if it's, it's season three, like Nissa's caught in her own stuff because she was originally going to find Jor-El. Now Seg's going to try to find Jor-El. Like maybe that's where him and Lyda created drew <laughs> in this time period you know what i'm saying um because drew because drew and Jarrell aren't that different in age right but let me let me lay out my pitch for you here go for it i told i told you this i said this would not be that difficult to do is whenever superman and lois comes back we have clark in this kind of coma or whatever you open up where it's one of those like that we've seen in other films and tv shows like the place in between place, the heaven, the spirit world, whatever. And it's like Clark and he sees Jarrell and Jarrell's talking to him. But then Segel walks in his grandfather and it's Cameron Cuff. You don't put a beard on him and stuff. And it also, it would also give the impression that maybe Seg died younger than what we think, you know? Um, and it talks about like family and lineage and, you know, it's not your time, son, all that. And, Go, my grand, like my grandfather. It's, it's proud. I'm proud to finally see you and you know meet you. But it's not time. Something like that, because that would call back to Krypton, was all about like your grandson, the greatest hero ever. And then you have this moment where Seg gets to meet his grandson, but it's like, no, it's your time. It's not your time. It would just be so easy to do. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not not a lot of like special effects because you you can paint the you know, the white, I think about like the scene in Harry Potter where he sees um, Dumbledore, it's just the train station in white, really bright because that's what Harry envisions, you know? And we go, we go back to Supernatural when they go to heaven and they're thinking of like the Rose Gardens and stuff. So it wouldn't be that difficult to do. And it would be a nice nod that there's a way because we've never gotten Zod on Superman and Lois, okay? <clears throat> we got Zod on Supergirl but that's a different earth. So we've never got Zod on Superman and Lois. We've seen older Jarrell, but we've never seen anyone that appears on Superman and Lois and on Krypton. They've never interacted. Um, And since, you know, Doomsday on Superman and Lois is bizarro style Doomsday. The other Doomsday still works too. Yep. You know, uh, of having existed. So it would be a nice nod of, Hey, this is the the prequel to this show, even though you didn't know it. 
and it brings it back around because I love Superman and Lois so much and I love Krypton so much. It'd be like a nice, like these two shows are more connected than you thought because also, and I've said this before that one of the things I still hold out for this last season is in a latter episode of season one, they're selling Superman merch. And if you look at that table, there is a red cape in the back with the yellow ace S on it for sale. And that's the cape that we see in Krypton. So I've been hoping, you know, so we didn't get it last season. We got a new suit, but maybe when season four comes back, you know, they put that S on the back of the cape and that would kind of seal it like even more for me, like boom. I would love, I would love to see a bridge between those two shows for all the reasons you just laid out. And that we talked about last time and the fact that they have each occupied their own space, they haven't overlapped, right. To the extent that you can kind of merge them together and you're not contradicting anything. And I feel like for people who are watching Superman and Lois who have never seen Krypton, that's okay. It's like you're introducing a new member of the family and you're getting a little bit of backstory and it wouldn't take anyone out of it. But for those of us who did watch Krypton and were left on this cliffhanger, right, of how does he get, not does he get Dor-El back, we figure he will, but how, what happens? Uh, I, I think that would be beautiful. And I, I think kind of the way, I, in my ideal scenario, I, I love what I love your pitch, right? Where, uh, you know, maybe Clark is kind of in between realms after fighting Doomsday or while fighting Doomsday. And he has this encounter with Seg. And I think kind of the message could be like, I was once asked to essentially stand aside and let my home be destroyed in time, all for an idea, the idea of this hero that my grandson would one day be. And now that I see you, I know that that sacrifice was worth it, that you've become Boom, the ultimate hero. The dialogue. That's it. I mean, like that, it would be amazing. I would I'm in tears now. I'm I in would, tears now. I would love to see something like that. Um, if anyone is listening, please. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> please, you, you don't have to pay us. Just maybe have a character named, you know, we'll take Anthony Tyler. Okay. That's a good character name. Tyler Desiato. That works too. Whatever. You know, you just you just you just put a character or some sort of name drop in there. Or, you know, that's all we're asking. That's it. <laughs> Look, this show gave us this whole grandfather, grandson angle that I never knew I needed in, in my Superman story. It gave us hands down the best brainiac on screen that we've gotten, truly top-tier depictions of Zod and Doomsday. And I, again, a truly compelling backstory to what happened on this planet, so much so that even when you take away the time travel aspects, and look, if you watch season two in a vacuum, you really would barely even know that this has that aspect to it, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, it, and it still works. And it's such a bummer to me that we didn't get that third season. I've mentioned a bunch of times now that proposal, and I think we've hit on most of the main points, or at least what really stood out to me. There was one other, and I think you'll appreciate this. Part of the proposal for season three was that Val was going to work to reach the man inside Doomsday to try to bring forth Dax again and try to try to redeem the man within the monster. So I don't know how successful he would have been. Probably not very, but I think that's that was that could have been an interesting angle to explore. It would have been interesting if you really would have played into the tragedy where Val's pulling Dax out, but then something happened that the last experiment. Is basically like killing Dax and then completely making it a mindless killing machine. And then something happens and he gets just ejected into space because they didn't know what to do with it. And then how it finds its way to Earth. Like, I think that would have been 
just kind of playing into the tra- like you said the tragedy of doomsday and the idea of you can you can think that this is the only doomsday and this is eventually the one that superman does fight um and by the way that you know we know that adam talks about there's only one person that's ever fought doomsday and he doesn't exist anymore right now so we know that that's happened yeah is there anything about this season or krypton generally we didn't talk about that you wanted to before we sign off i mean there's little things i know we've missed little beats but there's so much to a 10 episode season and it's such a good compelling show of one that we didn't know we wanted that we got that we should have and i say we as a fan collective and, it, and i think it did make it difficult that it was on sci-fi on cable because we live in such like <clears throat> at the time we had dc universe we had these streamers and we you know we had the cw but then to put this kind of on you know cable i think it hurt it it really did and um you know i uh <clears throat> i had hoped that it would have like it'd be like sci-fi's new big project much like Battlestar galactica was and we would see more of a return and continuation of the series. So it was very disappointing when it was canceled because they did set it up in a way that they could be, you know, they could touch the, 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 the DC world without feeling like you're too close and you're making it, you're shrinking it. Like, I mean, you, in theory, you could have introduced a green lantern at some point. If Lobo and Thanagarians. they're traveling to get to Earth. You know, you're going to have the Thanagarians and the uh, Ranians. You could have had Green Lantern either way. Like, you could have had a Green Lantern character show up trying to stop the war. So there's so much you still could have mined without feeling like you're stepping on the toes of what we know is to come. And Kazad even says, like, chart a course for Sector 2814. So they're they're in within that paradigm. Now, I agree. Look... I don't know what else to say other than I love this. I'm kicking myself for not watching it sooner. I'm so glad I watched it. Now it's so much fun talking to you this week and talking to Zach last week. You know, audience, if someone named Seg L pops up on the fourth and final season of Superman and Lois, I know at least two people are going to be jumping, oh, jumping for joy. I will, I will literally stand up and scream in elation and my wife will catch it. But then my kids are like, daddy, what? And I'll have to explain to him, but. That'd if, be good. If it happens, then I will really be convinced that someone out there is listening to this. I I, I, every episode of our podcast, I'm like, if you're still listening, <laughs> just message me directly. I have more ideas that I spit out every episode. Yeah. Well, I know you're, I mean, you're, you're, I always admire your creativity uh, in, in thinking about this kind of stuff. It's not necessarily where I gravitate, but this is one instance where I did. And I feel like it's such a prime opportunity. So Again, I doubt it'll happen, but I would love for it to, and it, it it would be absolutely tremendous. But Krypton, I'm really I'm really grateful for this series, and uh, I'm glad that I've closed this gap in my fandom, and I'm glad. I mean, my interest now in in the Krypton side of the story is higher than it ever has been, really, because of this show. So uh, this I this has been such a blast. Because you know, one thing I don't want Superman Legacy is Krypton. I would rather they'd hold off that like a sequel. Um, because I think sometimes you can bog down the story with the planet, but this really made the planet feel alive and like it was people because like we, and it made me more interested because, you know, I recently read the Krypton books, part of the John Byrne run. We talked about how I didn't like it. That's, I'll sum it up there. Go listen to electric mullet. Um, but this made me more interested in 
the culture and what the planet was. And I could see where it would have been very interesting if we would have continued and we would have had, you know, let's not forget that Seg has another son, you know, that would have been interested for him and Nissa to have. And so that, that could have been a subplot where we meet baby Zor, you know, I'm just saying like, there's a, there's more to come. I you forgot. Know, I forgot all about him. That's true. <laughs> because it, it really it, it touches on why Supergirl, like you know, that was the, about her like having grown up in in, um, you know, Krypton and everything. So it makes you feel more of like her story because now we kind of get an idea of who these people were. Absolutely. Well, listen. I thank you so much for re- rewatching and coming along and having this discussion. Oh, I, I loved it. I'm so because right, it's. It, it's been on the to-do list, but you know, we we've gotten so much new content that there hasn't been time to revisit a lot of old, but now we've kind of slowed down. So it was nice to kind of revisit stuff that I've wanted to go back and check out. So nice. The perfect opportunity. And I, I know I, I, talk, I was messaging with Zach a little while ago and he was about to start his rewatch of season two. So, you know, he rewatched season one for the episode that we did and then he was so into it. He wanted to keep going. So that's great. And I hope for, for if this inspires anyone to watch or rewatch uh, and especially to watch for anyone who hadn't who hadn't experienced the show before, if we can prompt anyone to, that would be great. And I hope people enjoy it. And you know, please reach out and let us know what you think. Uh, I encourage everyone to check out your podcast, The Krypton Report, available on all major podcast platforms. You can watch on YouTube. You can uh, follow along on social media. Is there anything in particular you want to plug or anywhere else you want to direct them? No, I'm just you know, I'm always active on. And I still call it Twitter. I don't care. Um, I'm always active there. You know, that's just kind of my default social media app, but you can find us anywhere. It's always fun to interact with people and have discussions about their thoughts. So I welcome it. Awesome. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, audience. Doomed Planet will continue next week. I'll be joined by returning guest Rich Roney for a discussion of the Bottle City of Candor. We'll be looking at and discussing a selection of pre-crisis stories. I've already recorded it. It's a lot of fun. I'm excited for people to hear that. So keep tuning in. Thank you as always. And of course, it's about what you do. It's about action. Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, an episode by episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron and subscribe, rate and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all.